0: Well, Roger and I were trying to pinpoint the day that I first stepped off the airplane in Durban, South Africa, and stepped into his life, and we can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was as if we had always uh, been engaged with each other, and the joy of sharing our lives and our ministry together across these years has been a great gift among us. Uh, Roger Skoltz is, at first, a pastor in the Methodist Church in Southern Africa who has given just dynamic pastoral leadership to the local congregations that he's served. Uh, he is now an adjunct professor at Seth Mokotimi Methodist Seminary, which you support through your gifts to the Mission and Ministry Fund, and where we sent some of our best when we loaned Doug and Sherry Rowland to the seminary as volunteers in mission for nearly three years. Uh, Roger is uh, earning his PhD in Old Testament studies, uh, particularly, I can't wait to read this, particularly focused on the women in Job, uh, which is a very interesting. Uh, that's, that wife is not somebody I particularly thought I wanted to be married to, but I can't wait to find out. Um, and so, it's a joy to welcome Roger here to worship and to preach this morning. I really want to encourage you to come back and join us, 4 o'clock this afternoon, when he'll be leading a uh, forum to which we've invited the other churches of our district and the neighboring district, uh, sponsored in part by our Florida Annual Conference and the districts, to focus on what the Methodists in South Africa have learned about reconciliation that we can take from them and learn in our own lives. That's today at 4, and then tomorrow night he'll be leading a a discussion of how we read the Bible and some fresh insights on reading scripture. So I hope you'll consider being a part of those, both of those events. It's a joy to share uh, this ministry together and to have Roger with us this weekend. Uh, so I invite you to hear the scripture for the day, first from the book of Exodus, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. And then from the Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, the 13th and 15th verses. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. As he sat at dinner in Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then, Je- when Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. The Lord be with you. I bring greetings from South Africa, and especially from the Seth Mokatini Methodist Seminary, uh, a place, as Jim has mentioned, that has been the, the recipient of such generosity from this place, uh, not only through your financial gifts, but through the presence uh, and ministry and input of those from, from this place. And so I bring greetings, and I want to say what an incredible joy it is for me to be here. As we sang a little bit earlier, there's no place I'd rather be than right here in your love and in the love of God. Jim, thank you. Uh, Our friendship has meant the world, and it is indeed a great privilege to be sharing uh, and preaching in this place this morning. Would you bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer? And now, O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1983, Steve Jobs asked John Scully to become the CEO of Apple Computers. At the time, Scully was the vice president of Pepsi, a well-established, Massively profitable multi net corporation. Apple was still a fledgling company in what was, at the time, a very uncertain industry. The famous question that Steve Jobs put to John Scully was this. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water? Or do you want a chance to change the world? Scully made the move. The genius of Steve Jobs's question is that it connected with a yearning that is buried deep within all of us, the yearning for our lives to matter, to make a difference, yes, to change the world. For who of us would not want to put the one miraculous life that is ours to some magnificent purpose, Now, if I were a motivational speaker, I would tell you that every single one of you can change the world. Maybe I'd screen that fabulous Think Different ad that famously starts with the words, here's to the crazy ones, and ends with the legendary line, because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. And then I'd urge you to think of yourself as one of the crazy ones, which, believe me, on Gasparilla weekend in Tampa is not hard for me to do. (laughs) You guys really are crazy. (laughs) I've even got my own. uh... And if I were a motivational speaker, I guess I'd put this on. But, uh, But I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm a preacher. And while there's an element of truth in the line that says that you can change the world, as a preacher, I'm not convinced it works that way. Heck, I'm not convinced that we can even change the most basic habits of our lives, much less the world. Aren't our short-lived New Year's resolutions an embarrassing testimony to this truth? I mean, it's still January, and I can't even remember mine. (laughs) Clearly, we need something more than just our good intentions or sheer willpower if real change is to take hold of our lives, which is exactly what the preaching series this month at Hyatt Park has been all about, and our need for God as the transforming yeast in our lives. So we dare not fool ourselves about our capacity to change anything. But that doesn't mean that we cannot be part of changing the world. In fact, your next preaching series here through the month of February will explore this very possibility. Today, I want to suggest that as we think about change in our lives and change in the world it all begins with discovering a healthier sense of purpose. Before getting into that, I'd like us to pause for just a moment and think about somebody who has changed the world in our time. Nelson Mandela. Shortly after his death last month, This cartoon appeared in one of our newspapers. Whatever it is, it's transformed their planet. Thank you. What was it about Nelson Mandela that could see him move from being a humble herd boy in a small rural village on the tip of Africa to being somebody who has touched and transformed our planet? To answer that question, I'd like us to consider the story of another humble herd boy that we find in the scriptures. Although he wasn't a boy, Moses was already a grown man when he tended his father-in-law's flocks in Midian. We know the story well, a wilderness, a burning bush, a voice that calls out, Moses, Moses. And then we overhear this astonishing declaration by God who says, I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them, to bring them up to a good and broad land. I have seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Did you hear that? This is a text about what God is doing God is the one who observes the misery of his people, who hears their cries, who knows their suffering, who comes down to bring them up. God is on a mission with a clear purpose in mind about what he is going to do. This is the God who then says to Moses, so come, come. I will send you to Pharaoh, to bring my people out of Egypt. In other words, Moses is invited to be a part of what God is already doing. That's the key. This isn't Moses' mission. It's God's. If he misses that, he'll misunderstand the whole point of his purpose. And sure enough, sure enough, that's exactly what he does. He says, who am I? that I should do this as if the whole thing depended just on him. Notice what God doesn't say in response. He doesn't say, oh, shucks, Moses, you can do it. Don't be so negative. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to find your mojo, bro God doesn't say that, I guess, because God also isn't a motivational speaker. What God says quite simply is, I will be with you. That's all. That's enough. This call of God that came to Moses was a call to a transformed purpose, to participate in what God was already doing, to go where God was already leading, daring to believe that he was not alone, daring to trust that the words, I will be with you, were utterly dependable and true. In 1994, I was a theology student in the small university town of Grahamstown. That was the year, of course, that democracy came to our nation, but the long walk to freedom for those still living in abject poverty was far from over. It still is. As part of my theological formation that year, I participated in a weekend experience called The Pilgrimage of Pain and Hope. It consisted of a a number of exposure visits to various ministries in Grahamstown that were offering hope to situations of painful despair, especially for those still chained in poverty. On the Saturday morning, we went to visit a shelter for street children. But before we got to that ministry, we went to see one of the places where the street children were sleeping right in the midst of Grahamstown. It was a stretch of concrete tunnel as part of a water culvert. Inside this tunnel, there was a wide raised ledge, which was dry and relatively protected from the elements. There, the children would sleep all huddled together on pieces of cardboard and newspaper. It was a cold, overcast morning. When we got there, the volunteer worker told us that just the night before, One of the younger children had been sexually assaulted by an older youth. You could still see clearly blood on the ground from the assault. And there's also the smell of human excrement. I remember standing just outside that tunnel, peering into the darkness of it, but too afraid to step inside. It was an overwhelming cesspit of human suffering, and I simply couldn't bring myself to go any closer. These were little children, eight, nine, ten years old. And as I stood there, I started to cry. It felt like my heart was going to break. And then the most amazing thing happened. As I stood there crying, it started to rain. And I recognized straight away that the rain was the tears of God, whose heart was breaking for the suffering of God's children. I watched those teardrops of God fall into the little stream in the culvert. And I watched that stream flow right into the darkness and stench of that place of unspeakable human misery where I was too afraid to go. And I knew that God was there. And that God was already at work. The gift of Nelson Mandela is that he dared to step into the darkness and stench of our country's misery with all its racial oppression, death, violence, and hunger for vengeance. But he did so in a way that participated with what God was already doing. Friends, make no mistake, the work of healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation in South Africa is God's work. Yes, the impact of Mandela's personal participation has been written large on the canvas of world history, but the truth is that he wasn't acting alone. He was part of something much, much bigger. It was the work of God in which countless others participated also and found their purpose transformed. And so my country, and indeed the world, has been changed. This is the pattern throughout the scriptures. We see it in today's gospel reading how Jesus called the tax collector by the name of Levi to a radically transformed purpose as he said to him, follow me. We read that Levi got up and followed Jesus and immediately found himself thrust into the vibrant mix of participation with his house, the venue, for an extraordinary party for tax collectors and sinners because there were many who followed Jesus. And so the simple question that I want to put to you today is this. If you yearn for a healthier sense of purpose in your life, will you risk participating in what God is already doing? Bono from U2 puts it brilliantly. He says, don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God is doing and get involved with that because it is already blessed. That's gospel advice. Just being in this church this morning, it is clear to me that there is much that God is already doing here, and there is much that God is doing in this city of Tampa. Will you dare to participate in that? Now, I don't know what exactly that will look like in your particular set of circumstances. I don't know what burning bushes might come across your path or how you might hear your name being whispered in the midst of some great need. But I do know this. If you dare to say yes and you risk yourself participating in what God is already doing, your purpose will be transformed and it will become for you a source of deep and enduring joy. And so let me close. I'd like to do so with another personal story if you'll forgive the indulgence. A few years ago, I was invited to participate in a special Easter assembly at my children's school. Normally, as a preacher, when I'm invited to take part in these things, it's to bring a message or to say a prayer or something like that. But this time, it was the music teacher who contacted me. My daughter, bless her heart, had proudly told the music teacher that her daddy plays the violin and he's very good. (laughs) Friends, trust me. That is an extravagant embellishment (laughs) of what is actually the case. But still, the invitation came to be part of a string quartet that would provide the music for the Easter assembly. Really so as not to disappoint my daughter, I agreed, not really knowing what I was letting myself into, It soon became apparent. I was to play second violin in the quartet. The music was way beyond my limited technical ability. There would be just one practice immediately before the assembly. (laughs) And the other musicians were all of vastly superior ability to myself. In fact, the person sitting right next to me playing first violin was none other than the associate concertmaster of the KZN Philharmonic. If you watched the funeral for Nelson Mandela on TV, the person leading the orchestra on that occasion is exactly the person that I'm speaking about. (laughs) The double bass two seats away was also a member of the KZN Philharmonic. The chap on the cello next to me used to play for the KZN Youth Ensemble. Youth orchestra, and then just to round off the ensemble, well, there was me. <laughs> can you see where this is going? It's okay, I've dealt with it in therapy, I can talk about it now. As an aside, one of my favorite far side cartoons is of a musician whose name happens to be Roger sitting in an orchestra holding the cymbals. And there's this thought bubble that's coming out of his head as he says to himself, this time I won't screw up. I won't, I won't, I won't. And the caption beneath the cartoon reads, Roger screws up. (laughs) Anyhow, back to the concert. Well, it was an Easter concert and thankfully, this is an Easter story of good news. Because believe it or not, I didn't screw up. I played. I participated. Of course, make no mistake, I missed many of the notes. And many that I played were wrong. But that's not the point. The point is that I played. And the music sounded really, really good, which had nothing to do with the merits of my playing, but everything to do with the fact that a diverse group of people were risking themselves in making music together, and as I did so, it was for me an experience of indescribable joy. Now I'm fully aware that if another member of the KZN Philharmonic had been playing second violin, or maybe your fantastic violinist Amy, um, if one of those had been playing the violin that day, the music would have been even better. But dare I say it, what we had that day was certainly more interesting. (laughs) And maybe that's the point, the whole point of God's call to you and to me to come and be a part of what God is doing, to find our purpose wondrously transformed and the yearning deep within us satisfied as we risk ourselves in making beautiful, interesting music with God. And so may you hear the call of God today wherever you might be tending the flocks and herds in your life. And may your risky participation in the concerns of God's heart become for you a source of deep joy as you add to the beauty of this world and so help to change it forever. Amen. Let's be quiet for just a moment. Gracious God, we thank you that you are already at work in our world.